politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard and fight anew for our liberties. To the one and only CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today for Thursday. Very special show. I want you guys to go ahead, take a pen and paper out, and start taking notes Um, momentarily we're going to have on Dr. Dan Stock. He is going to delve into exactly how the shots work from beginning to end compared to how your immune system normally works and how it screws over your immune system in the worst imaginable way, how it makes the virus worse, how it makes the pandemic worse, how it makes your body worse. You know, we've talked a lot about the injuries, and we'll continue to talk about that, but this is specifically going to be about your immune system. And this is really the missing component because remember, everyone, you know, pretty much who goes through it, only a certain percentage feel anything wrong with them. A lot of them get, you know, a little bit of a flu or whatever, but a lot of them come out like, hey, you know, I never had a problem. Okay, this is fine. But what is going on in your body that you don't see? The long-term side effects that we never talk about. What is that going to portend? This is probably going to be the most comprehensive show ever done on that, so stay tuned for that. Um, Folks, when, when you're looking at what's going on here, and people have questions, why are they doing this? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Understand this and everything will make sense to you. In their minds, the virus is not the virus. So therefore, the cure is not the cure. The virus is we, the people. The virus is you and me. The virus are the patriotic Americans that don't want to submit to the globalist cabal, to the elites that want to control and remake our life. Particularly in America, we have a precedent and a spirit of independence they have to crush that so when that is the virus that they're trying to cure so the cure was a the virus they because they created it didn't come naturally that is the reason they created it to kill us and then use as a pretext to control and then the veneer that that is the problem and then the cure to the cure is the other bioweapon And that's the shots and then all the control measures and the concentration camps and whatever else they're doing. They're both bioweapons. Everything else from there makes sense. Now, our first sponsor today, um, just today, the Republican Senate or Republicans in the Senate are going to join along with Democrats and raise the debt ceiling again or enable it to be raised another $2 trillion. Money doesn't mean anything at this point. So if you think... Money grows on trees like our government does, then just keep keep doing what you're doing. But if you're freaked out about it, I recommend that you invest in gold as a hedge against high inflation. Uh, Birch Gold Group is the group I recommend to invest in gold and silver. Uh, they have countless five-star ratings on the Better Business Bureau. They can help you protect your hard-earned savings right now. There's a little-known section of the IRS tax code that you can legally move your IRA 
or 401k into precious metals with no tax implications or penalties. To get started on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account, request a free kit from Birch Gold, texting Daniel to 989898. Again, uh, this is a 20-page kit that will show you how to get your money out of volatile stocks and bonds, or at least some of it, into precious metals, IRAs. Text Daniel to the number 989898, Daniel to 989898. So before we bring on Dr. Dan, I just want to touch base on a couple of things here. You know, yesterday, the Indiana governor, okay, the Indiana governor, Eric Holcomb, he put out a statement, or maybe it was an interview, where he literally sounded like Joe Biden. I'm not... No exaggerations. A Republican governor, 100%. He said, we, we deal with the absurd and we deal with the facts. And there's a lot in between there for people to form their own opinions. What I have to do is try to be persuasive enough so that folks understand that they're going to learn it the easy way or the hard way, unfortunately, by being vaccinated or not. It is, though, largely a pandemic of the unvaccinated at, at some point, And we're there. Individuals need to take responsibility for their lives. Unfortunately, their inaction have Adverse consequences on others. So he's literally saying, lying, and saying that it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But yet, somehow, it has consequences on others. So, it would work if you would get vaccinated, but it doesn't. So, therefore, you're dying and affecting others. This is the Republican governor that got reelected last year. Renominated, reelected. This is the failure of the conservative movement, how we have people like this in Indiana. Meanwhile, this guy, the reality is we well know is this thing is spreading like anything. Let me just give you an example, okay? Vermont's excess death toll is crushing the excess death toll of last year. I mean, more than double. 99% of seniors are vaccinated, 89% of 18 to 64-year-olds. And I'm sure if you would break that down, you know, if you'd like look at just 50 to 64-year-olds, I'm sure it's closer to 100%. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You've run out of people. You've run out of unvaccinated people to blame for your blood libel. It is 10 times worse in Vermont this year than it was before a single vaccine last year. You have in Ireland now places, counties, that have 95% vaccination rate overall, meaning the entire population, including kids. So, again, for adults, it's essentially 100%. And they have some of the highest rates in Ireland. I'm looking at some of those counties um, near Dublin, They have well over 1,000 new cases per day per million. Some are 1,500. That's higher than any county right now in the United States. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. And yet this man just got a booster. Holcomb. Actually, it was six weeks ago. I guess he's due for his fourth. Pfizer CEO now said you need a fourth. As we predicted, there's no floor to this. There is no, as the New Zealand Prime Minister said, 
there's no end point because you always need a booster. And that is the point. Of course there's no end point. They don't want to solve. They don't want a vaccine that works. That's the joke. Because then the party's over. COVID is not the problem. It's the solution. The problem is you and me. Therefore, they need a perpetual a solution that it perpetually exacerbates the problem. Because the problem is really the solution. That's why they have to block anything that works. It's amazing. Uh, a friend of mine, a longtime loyal listener, has been a big help to me, lives in Indiana. She spent an hour on the phone for me trying to find out information on the monoclonals. It's impossible. No one has any information in Indiana. We weren't even clear if you need a doctor's prescription. I think it depends on the facility. It's hidden. It's nowhere on their COVID dashboard. They have boosters all over the place. They have the Department of Health is putting out information promoting shots for kids that are going to die from it, don't need it, and don't die from the virus. Yet seniors who already got the shots, all of them got the shots, and it doesn't work. No information about the monoclonals. Sick people. They're projecting their own inaction on us. It's their inaction that is killing people. But this is what we have in every Republican state. Nearly every Republican state. Now today in South Carolina, subcommittee, House Ways Means Subcommittee is working on a bill there. It's not perfect, but it will um, ban the mandates, uh, private, the so-called private sector from doing it. So if you live in South Carolina, we have a terrific uh, team. Um, we have a team leader in the Uplands uh, as well as a team leader you know, for, for the rest of the state. So make sure to sign out up at conaction.network. This is very, very important. Um, there's a lot going on there. We have to make sure this gets across. There is no reason why South Carolina – you know, South Carolina, we have doctors losing their licenses – are being threatened for for saving lives, just like we have in Idaho. Again, this is going to be the most important legislative session of our lifetime. So in South Carolina, they're just meeting for a day or so, um, or a few days for because it's redistricting. And even then, it, it you know the conservatives in the chamber had to move heaven and earth to convince leadership to also take up COVID fascism. They didn't want to do it. And then January, of course, in most states is going to be the the special session the i mean the regular session but folks this is not good what is going on we need protections human rights protections nuremberg protections put into the constitution on ballot initiatives state stat, statutes you know if you look at blue states they're doing the opposite blue states are are gone blue states already are australia you know there's a bill now in illinois that would make it that anyone who is eligible but chooses not to get the shots, which will soon mean three shots and then soon four, must pay their health care expenses out of pocket if they're hospitalized. So no. now the irony is, well, what about the people that have the shots or hospitalized? I thought it works. Like, you can't have it both ways. We literally, I mean, we, we fund, the, you, you have no idea how amazing this is. Because we've worked on Medicaid issues for years, and you couldn't get 
any reforms to Medicaid. They wouldn't, I mean, nothing. You got to cover it. Anyone who works in a hospital will tell you they're forever having druggies come in, often the same dudes come in every day um, with drug overdoses, self-immolation, and we've never failed to treat people. And again, it's starting with you're going to have to pay your own. The next step is you won't get care. It's they're, they're inching in and inching in. It's not, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like 1939. It already is. You don't, it's not just the signals. We, we, we see it. We need the red, the red states are the last thing stopping this. State legislatures, but they're run by a bunch of idiots like Eric Holcomb. We need to assert our will on them. And, and again, we're going to really be ratcheting up that in the, in the, in the you know, next number of days. I want to get to our interview with Dr. Dan. Um, folks, sponsored by ExpressVPN. Look, imagine going into the Wuhan lab without a hazmat suit. Well, that's what you're doing every day. If you go on the internet and browse and search for things without putting on ExpressVPN. Ever wonder how uh, big tech controls everything and they have so much money? Because they sell the information by tracking all your searches, your video history, everything you click on. When you when when I put on ExpressVPN on my computer, I can't believe I didn't do it until earlier this year. Um, I am basically and basically you're making your computer like it has a mask, except the mask that actually works. And it makes it very difficult to trace and sell. It also is just good against eavesdroppers, cyber criminals in general. Um, and what I like most about it is it's literally one click. I am horrible with computers. I'm scared about messing things up, putting anything new. It's one click. It protects all of your devices, your phone, your tablet, and your desktop, your laptop, whatever it is. Um, that's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by Business Insider. Let's stop allowing big tech to revoke our rights to free speech. Why not revoke their right to your data instead? Secure your internet with VPN. Um, the, the one I trust is expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash conservative. Get an extra three months free with my exclusive link at expressvpn.com slash conservative. Now, folks, I promised you a special treat today. We'd have Dr. Dan Stock back again. He's an expert at functional medicine. He's a family physician in Indiana. One of the most um, articulate spokesmen for the cause, his video, his clip at this school board hearing went viral a couple months ago. It's so viral that the clip is banned everywhere because it is a truth bomb. But here we are going to give you a long form version of this. Now, folks, as I mentioned, this is important. Part of the problem that we're not succeeding with is because as appalling as the vaccine injuries are and as voluminous as they are, as crazy as the VAERS numbers are, and we know that's lowballing it, it still is a relatively low percentage, right? I mean, you know, it's not like 60% are having, uh, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome or Bell's palsy or strokes or whatever. Um, it's just insanely higher than we ever, ever tolerate to even market a product, much less mandate it. But the problem is, if people would know that likely 100% of them, unless they're getting some sort of saline or something, are getting long-term effects because it's destroying their immune system. How does your normal immune system respond to viruses? 
how does a normal vaccine work, and how does this injection differ from that? What does it cause in the individual, and what does that cause in terms of microevolutionary pressure on the vaccine, and what's the side effect in general on the epidemic as we often talk about? So when Dr. Dan and I can get on the phone together, we we talked for about an hour and a half last week, and I said, man, that has to be recorded. You guys have to hear this. So I want to make sure we focus it. I want you guys to come out today knowing the difference between ADE, original antigenic sin, the concern about selecting for stronger mutants that uh, Dr. Vandenbosch is talking about, and what we talk about a lot here, the leaky vaccine hypothesis, how it creates higher viral loads. I want you guys to understand all of that with the help of Dr. Dan Stock. Dr. Dan, thanks so much for giving us today a full year of medical school. Well, thank you. I'm very flattered to be asked back, Dan. Well, yeah, there's a lot to go over. Time is short, so we're going to jump right into it. I want to start out by giving an observation and you taking as much time as possible to build it up. In other words, I see the data. I'm a policy guy. I'm a news guy. I'm a data guy. I do that for a living. I've been doing that my whole career. So any public policy issue that affects us, I'm going to indulge it and make sure I know as much information as possible. So I know the data. I know what is happening in the world. You're going to give us today a, a look under the hood, under the microscope. What is the science defining and dictating what is happening. And here's what we are seeing with our best judgment. We're seeing this. Last year, we had a virus that, um, you know, now we know it was contrived, but it tend to only kill those within, within the final year of their life. A, a certain cohort beyond that that had certain underlying conditions or who were younger, but a small percentage. Then came the, the shots. And what seemed to happen was this that anyone who got the shot, they're more vulnerable to getting the virus within the first month or so. And then it leaks four to six months after that. And you know there's this down regulation of the antibodies they get. And what we're seeing is the virus seems to be more transmissible, plus countering Mueller's ratchet, more virulent across the board First, the unvaccinated seemed to get crushed, like, I mean, crushed well beyond what we saw last year. Younger people getting it, um, you know, getting to the pulmonary phase quicker, uh, treatment becoming harder. You need more multi-drug approach, um, just much more aggressive. Eventually, the vaccinated got roped into it, too. But we're not seeing full-blown ADE in terms of the vaccinated getting it qualitatively worse they seem to get the virus more and spread it more than the va- than the unvaccinated um, and increasingly get it very symptomatic and clinically ill, but more on par or a little bit less, depending on the person, not more, which is what you would see from traditional ADE. Um, that is kind of what we're seeing is the best observation putting it together. So I want you to now start from the beginning and give us a sense of how your vi- your body typically responds to the to the virus and what the vaccine now does to your body and how it answers all those observations. Sure. So let's just start off with some basics understandings of immunology. Uh, your immune system has different chemical pathways that it goes down 
to fight viruses, intracellular bacteria, meaning bacteria that only live on the inside of your cells, extracellular bacteria, meaning bacteria that only live on the outside of your cells, and parasites. So because it has these at least four different ways that it can respond to a pathogen, it has to have a signaling system that tells it which one of those uh, sequences it's supposed to launch. In the case of a virus infection, because viruses only grow inside of cells, they have to hijack the cell's machinery to do so. The way your immune system response begins is the virus-infected cells change their metabolism and then send chemical signals to the immune system to tell it what reaction it's supposed to use. So you have to have a virus-infected cell, which has got the metabolic changes of virus infection, to make the system work right. So then it will actually tell the immune system what it needs to do, and the immune system will produce something we call cytotoxic T cells or cellular immune response. This is a group of cells that crawl in between the individual cells of the tissue where the virus got in. And that's another important thing. You need to know that the immune system is not only being educated that it's fighting a virus, but that the tissue that the virus is in will tell the immune system which tissue it's at. So, for instance, the, in the case of COVID-19, the respiratory tissues of the throat uh, and the respiratory tree will send off signals to the immune system and say, hey, here's where the cootie is. So the immune system comes in. It makes these cytotoxic T cells. The cytotoxic T cells actually make the virus-infected cells commit suicide. Um, and that's what actually gets rid of the virus infection. And then the immune system cells learn that my job, the next time I see this funny-looking protein presented to me, is to go running to the respiratory tissue and make cytotoxic T cells. And that is why when you recover from COVID-19 naturally, you're very, very unlikely. Latest data from uh, Bahrain, I believe it was, 99.6% protection from uh, symptoms, 99.1% protection from hospitalization. The reason you have that wonderful immunity is your immune system knows that the next time it sees this protein, we're all running to the respiratory system and making cytotoxic T cells. So very little viral replication occurs in the respiratory system. And it's an important thing for people to note about what I just said, that I never said the word antibody. <laughs> That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. So this is an important thing for everybody to understand, that antibodies actually don't fight virus-infected cells. Antibodies mostly stay in the bloodstream. They don't get out between the individual cells of the body. We find a little bit in the tissue we, of the fluid we call lymph, uh, but mostly they flow to the bloodstream. And in fact, the immune system, when it's been signaled to go off and fight a virus, it only makes antibodies in the case that the virus gets out of the target tissue and starts moving into other tissues. So my favorite example for this is mumps. So you got mumps virus that started off with a little bit of respiratory symptoms. Next thing you know, you start to have swollen testicles and salivary glands. Well, what had happened is the virus very rapidly got out of the respiratory tissue, started to infect other tissues. When those other tissues start to send off their chemical signals, that now I have a problem, the initial place of the immune system response in the respiratory tissue will have to have some of those uh, cells that it's normally making cytotoxic T cells will instead be driven over to making cells that make antibodies. So a little bit more detail on this. Uh, you have these uh, white blood cells called T helper cells. And T helper cells, when they get stimulated to fight a virus, either have to choose to make cytotoxic T cells 
or to make these things called B cells that make antibodies. So there's, whenever you decide you're going to make antibodies, you must necessarily reduce the degree of the fight you're making to get rid of the virus-infected cells in the primary tissue. Now, if you have a rapidly spreading virus like mumps, you'll do that. If we reduce our cytotoxic T cells a little bit so that we can make some antibodies and prevent spread to the other tissue, we can protect the salivary glands and the testicle. Hey, that's a reasonable trade-off. But even in that case against mumps, when you are making antibodies, you're making much more cytotoxic T cells and a limited amount of antibodies. And that is the natural memory that you'll have after a mumps infection is that the next time I see this protein, I'll make a lot of toxic, cytotoxic T cells, not as much as I would against maybe, say, a, a cold virus, um, but, is, but a lot of cytotoxic T cells and a little bit of antibodies, and that'll prevent spread. And that's why you never get mumps again. Well, the problem with vaccines that cause antibody-dependent enhancement is multifold. One of the problems is that antibodies aren't always good. We have neutralizing antibodies, which are antibodies that bind to the pathogen and make it less able to cause infection. But we have known now for since the 1960s that you can also induce the immune system to make what's called an enhancing antibody. And this is an antibody that binds to the pathogen and actually makes it able to infect cells that it would not otherwise have been able to infect. You can actually make it more pathogenic. Uh, we learned this first from the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine trial back in the 1960s. Um, we also learned some other things about what normally happens when you do that. What we'll find is a progressive reduction of the making of cytotoxic T cells, because everybody should remember that to make the cells that make antibodies, you have to make one, if you're going to make one more B cell to make antibodies, you have to make one less cytotoxic T cell. And you can get the T helper cells that regulate that balance to go into what we call a humoral shift or a TH2 shift where it is now making much more antibodies and much less cytotoxic T cells. So there's a lot of problems when you do that. Um, one of the problems is you can make an enhancing antibody that now when it does get loose in the bloodstream, wow, it's even worse than it would have been if it just got in the bloodstream on its own. Another problem you can have, which we saw in all of the previous coronavirus vaccines done in animals, was you can get it to make the wrong antibody. So instead of making what we call IgM and IgG, which float in the bloodstream and bind up viruses and bacteria and make them so they can't infect, you can get the uh, B cells to make IgE, which is the antibody that drives allergies. Now, that means you've confused the B cell to thinking it's fighting a parasite because that's, how you, that's what you use IgE for. So you can not only make enhancing antibodies, you can actually make the wrong kind of antibodies that just add allergic reaction to your virus infection, which doesn't get rid of viruses. But there is this other component, which I think is probably even more important in my mind. And that is the fact that you can continue to drive the body to worse and worse production of antibodies and less and less production of cytotoxic T cells. And this happens with subsequent infections, especially if a vaccine that works the wrong way. So we should kind of get a feeling for, gee, how are these vac these vaccines different? Yes. Well, yeah. So different. I want to, I yeah. you know, pause it there to give a little bit of a summation of where we are because there's a lot of information to process and then go on to the next step. First, the next segment is sponsored by iTarget Pro. We're talking about immune systems misfiring and being taught to do so. Well, the worst thing you can do, and, I, and folks, this is a great analogy, 
is the more you learn stupid things on how to handle a firearm, well, the more that muscle memory is going to kick in. So a lot of you come out uh, to front sight with me on our, you know, now three times a year, our trips. Uh, we're probably going to have another, another one in February, March, and you're going to learn that muscle memory, the proper five-point draw, the sight alignment, picture alignment, um, obviously the grip, the uh, you know trigger manipulation. The problem is every time you go to the range, you down three, 400 rounds. You just simply can't afford it with the price of ammo. iTarget Pro makes dummy laser bullets, fits your 223 and your AR, certainly any handgun, and... It gives you a board, you download their app, you could time your draws and it renders your shots. It It is perfect, the timing, the accuracy. You have everything except for the recoil, your muscle memory. It is a terrific Christmas gift to give away to a friend, a family member. Um, if you go to itargetpro.com and you put in offer code CR, you'll get 10% off plus free shipping. So you're talking about you know no more than 100 bucks. You'll make that money back in one round of training by not expending that ammo. That's itargetpro.com, the letter itargetpro.com, offer code CR. Okay, so Dr. Dan, back to you. I want to sum it up in my words to make sure that other laymen can understand. So you're saying so far that you know we're going to talk specifically about this vaccine. But in general, the concern is you know the reason why you have to get a perfect vaccine you can't just like something is better than nothing oh look it dumps in a bunch of antibodies this is awesome antibodies antibodies galore is basically this that your navy seals are your your cytotoxic t t cells and so you got um you got these white blood cells the t4 helper cells that they either call up the keystone cops you know the the antibodies that's your TH2 response, or they go with the, the TH1, the Navy SEALs, the cytotoxic T cells. So what I'm gleaning from what you're saying is that there are three potential problems that are distinct, and they could all be true and are going to be all true with this vaccine, and that is, number one, you are training the body from day one by dumping in a bunch of antibodies to basically, it reminds me of in the some old countries, they would... um. If you had a kid write with their left hand, they'd slap the hand so they'd learn to write with their right hand. And and you could do that, but you know he'll always be weaker at it and he'll always just not optimize his potential because he's really a lefty. So you're going to go with the suboptimal response. You're always going to go with the antibody route rather than the cytotoxic T-cell response, number one. that Number two is when you go with antibodies, you run the risk of having enhancing antibodies that don't neutralize but bind, and rather than killing the virus, it serves as a guide to guide it through your cells and more evidently get it in, so it's it's a reverse effect. And then number three, you might produce, instead of just IgM and IgG, IgE, which could spawn allergic reactions. Did I get, get the gist of that? Yeah, actually very, very well very well stated. Congratulations. You now know more about immunology than most doctors in the country. <laughs> well, that's what it appears. Okay, so let's take this to the next level. So um, how in your mind does the COVID shots um, do all of those things? And why is it distinct from every vaccine that, you know, doesn't every vaccine kind of dump antibodies into you? Yeah, so that's a great point because I'm, you know, despite what I've been accused of, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I like people to know that. I think vaccines, you do them the right way against the right pathogen, have a benefit. But these vaccines really never had a prayer. Um, and they, they don't have a prayer for several reasons. 
First of all, the mRNA, or in the case of the Johnson Johnson nasi vaccines, the DNA that then leads to mRNA, they don't make the cell display the abnormality of metabolism, which tells the immune system this is a virus. So the very signaling that's supposed to tell the immune system, hey, we're fighting a virus, not an intracellular, extracellular bacteria, not a, not a parasite, that signaling doesn't occur. You, therefore, you increase the chance that the immune system is going to guess wrong and fight wrong. Um, so that's its first problem. But the, the, probably the even bigger problem is more than any other vaccine, these vaccines disseminate. So uh, for most vaccines, when we shoot it into your arm, you only have the problem, most of the, of the thing we shoot in there stays in the arm. Only 20% of these vaccines stays in the arm. And not only does it get out of the arm, but it goes into many different tissues, more so in the brain and the ovary than any other tissue. But it seems like every tissue, heart muscle cells, blood vessel lining cells, muscle cells, um, all of them start making spike protein. Well, what this signals the immune system is, oh, I'm not fighting a virus which is going to come into the respiratory system. I'm fighting a pathogen that immediately goes into viremia, meaning that it heads to the bloodstream immediately. Look at all the different tissues that are sending out inflammatory signals. Therefore, even if you did have this recognized as, oh, we're fighting a virus, you would fight this virus with an enormous production of antibodies and humoral immunity and a down-regulated amount of cytotoxic T cells. Now, why is that a big problem? Well, let's say now you've been vaccinated and your, your uh, lymphocytes have all memorized that what I do when I see my protein is I go make tons of antibodies and very little cytotoxic T cells. Now you have a pathogen that doesn't enter through the bloodstream. It comes in through the respiratory system. Well, you don't have enough of the Navy SEALs to go fight that, so the virus gets to replicate more and more in the respiratory tissue until finally it does cause a viremia, which now makes the immune system double down on its mistake in the first place. And you've got a, what we call a positive feedback loop that with successive infections continues to learn that I should make more and more antibody produ uh, pr uh, producing cells, less and less cytotoxic T cells that actually fight the infection in the respiratory system until you have a respiratory system which is doomed to collapse because it frankly just can't defend itself. The immune system wow. has been taught to fight wrong. That, that, that's amazing, and I'm so glad, even though it took a long time, but that we gave that background, that 10-minute background, because now even I understand it better than when you explained it to me the first time. So you're saying the difference is that a normal shot, it's just, again, it's a shot in the arm. Um, this one, we now know, uh, there's studies now, first it was four months, now up to 15 months, the episomes are all over the body transporting it, and they actually brag about it. They think, oh, look, this is great protection, it lasts for, for so long, even though they say you need boosters after a few months, but the point is that it's all over the place, so it's t telling your body, systemic, systemic, all over, produce antibodies, not to go the T-cell route. So you're saying that's what we call original antigenic sin, that you're teaching the body the first time it sees it to do stupid things, to respond stupidly, so then subsequently it's always going to follow that original path and do stupid things. So um, what are the consequences of that in the future, and how is that, again, distinct from antibody-dependent disease enhancement? Well, it's actually not distinct from antibody-dependent enhancement. Um, you know, everybody argues over, gee, antibody enhancement is you make these dangerous antibodies, but these always go hand-in-hand. Hand. 
you don't get one without the other. So the more and more you make a dangerous antibody, you are necessarily making less cytotoxic T cells because the two are yoked to each other. You only get one or you get a mixture of the two. You make the mixture become more and more antibodies, less and less cytotoxic T cells. While we focus on the antibody side of that damage to the immune system's training, we can't ignore that there is this other component, which if I had to make my guess, if there were a way to quantify this, we would actually find out that the diminution of cytotoxic T cells is the bigger problem um, of this. More than even the enhancing antibodies is the fact that you continue to teach the immune system to work wrong. So theoretically, you could get antibody-dependent enhancement even if you never made an enhancing antibody, and even if you made the right kind of antibodies, you would still get antibody-dependent enhancement because to make antibodies, you must make less cytotoxic T cells. But but is this more of a concern with other viruses, uh, meaning, meaning the, vac- the COVID-vaccinated person getting other viruses subsequently, not COVID? Because my, my, this is what I'm trying to get our audience to understand here that what we're seeing seems to be that if you just look at the data and the learned experiences of this year, on the one hand, it, it's not definitely not sterilizing, definitely doesn't stop transmission. And according to the UK data and, and just observations from all over, seems to be that they likely get it and spread it even more. And I think that's what you're saying because you don't have the um, proper – uh, neutralizing antibodies necessarily, and then certainly the cytotoxic T cells. So it's kind of this half-baked thing. It's not sterilizing. But on the other hand, wouldn't you expect then ADE to set in and these guys would be screwed over and they would get slaughtered, whereas what we what we seem to be seeing is they get it, they spread it, they spread it more, but they're hosing the unvaccinated increasingly over time, they also get seriously ill. But there seems to be still for some, some degree of prophylactic um, protection from some symptoms for a certain amount of time for those people more than the unvaccinated. Why? Well, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what we saw happen with the respiratory syncytial virus uh, vaccine program. And with Merrick's disease in chickens, when we tried to make a vaccine against Merrick's disease for chickens, because the people who get the vaccine initially have lots of antibodies, they are protected initially from severe disease because when the virus gets into the bloodstream, uh, hey, we've got this thing covered. So they tend not to get severe disease at first, but because they cannot fight the virus in the respiratory system, they become a breeding ground for large amounts of virus, particularly for variants that can escape the antibodies. Um, And so what we'll see them is the vaccinated shed heavily. Well, this is what we saw with RSV vaccine. Um, When we started off with the vaccine program, um, initially the unvaccinated kids got more RSV than the vaccinated. Then we started to see a sudden increase among RSV in the unvaccinated kids followed by an exponential increase in RSV disease in the vaccinated kids. So it's important to know that as ADE starts to develop in a population, the unvaccinated naive population, first of all, comes down with disease first because they're getting, and they'll get more severe disease because they don't have antibodies. And now they're having a higher load of virus shed onto them 
by the vaccinated. But eventually, those people who were naive and got overexposed, if they survive, have great immunity. They don't come down with future disease. And so now the unvaccinated, naive population, which is no longer naive, we start to see the number of their cases drop. But as the immune system continues to work worse and worse in the vaccinated population, now we start to see a rise in the amount of cases and severity of cases among the vaccinated until they make up not only the majority of cases, but the majority of severe cases. And that is exactly the progression we're seeing happen with the COVID-19 vaccines. But you're saying it takes time to get to that final stage where they downright have it worse. Um, so is is the concern now that as the virus mutates and this actually causes it to mutate, um, they will now have a scenario where they have such narrow immunity that it won't recognize the new um, mutations or... Is the concern also just future viruses, other viruses, flu-like viruses that they're going to have? In other words, because what you're saying strikes me if what you're saying is true. And I am hearing anecdotal evidence of this, but who knows, of seasonal pathogens becoming worse. Is that what we're going to see? Or is it just with SARS-CoV-2? Well, actually, we're going to see a mixture of things. And I, I do have to correct one thing. It's not that with these new variants, the immune system doesn't recognize it. So, for instance, if you look at people who recovered from the original Wuhan strain or alpha variant, their immunity against Delta was very, very good, uh, over 99% protection. When you see what's developing in the vaccinated, it's not that their immune system doesn't recognize the pathogen. It recognizes it. It just does all the wrong things in response to it. But there are other consequences for other pathogens as well. So it turns out that the signaling of the immune system um, is so intricate that whenever you upregulate the cytotoxic T cells against uh, COVID-19, you also upregulate the cytotoxic T cells against shingles and herpes and Epstein-Barr virus. By the same token, if you do a vaccination, you start to downregulate the cytotoxic T cell responses against COVID-19 you'll start to downregulate the cytotoxic T cell responses against herpes, the shingles virus or chicken pox, and Epstein-Barr virus. And of course, we've seen that. Um, increases in herpes outbreaks, shingles outbreaks, uh, Bell's palsy, which is caused by a viral outbreak yeah. in the facial nerve. All of these things are beginning to happen in the vaccinated population because their T cell immunity has been downregulated. That cytotoxic T cell response has been downregulated so severely that they now don't not only fight wrong against COVID-19, but to a lesser degree, fight wrong against other viral pathogens as well. So basically what you sound like, it sounds like you're saying, it's basically like de facto giving someone HIV. Now, obviously, with those people, it directly kills their T cells. Here, it doesn't kill it. It just makes it that the, the you know, they, they don't call up the National Guard, right? It doesn't get called yeah. up. So they're absent. Oh, they call up the Keystone cops. Your analogy yeah, is so, better. They do the wrong thing. They fight. They just fight wrong. They fight wrong. So, so you're saying, so it's important for people to know, there's two buckets when you talk about vaccine injuries. There's the, the hematological and um, you know cardiac stuff that's directly from the spike protein damaging. But then there's, this is a little bit more indirect, 
it's it screws up your immune system by downregulating your T cells. So then you get all these autoimmune diseases. So we are saying, so let me let me just zoom out to put this all together. All these people that are like, hey man, you know, I, I got two shots, I got three shots, I got red shot, I got blue shot. And, you know, I never had a problem, you know, I just, you know, and, and plenty of people never had a problem with it. Plenty of people did, but a lot of people didn't. So if they and their immediate family members never had a problem, it's going to color their belief on it. And they're like, look, you know, I, you know, everything's working out fine. You're saying not so fast. Well, as a matter of fact, we even have data that supports this. So when we looked at the Israeli data, uh, there was a study published that said, hey, you know, what happens to the viral load? In the, in the respiratory system of people who are vaccinated um, relative to people who are naive. And what they showed is that what, after you gave somebody a vaccine, there was initial reduction in the amount of viral shedding if you got infected, but it only lasted two to six months. Um, for most people in the population, it would be two months or less. 50, if you were 50 years or older, it would be two months and then it would be gone. And so while well, we say, okay, that's we got a little bit of benefit. Well, what happens when we do boosters? Well, if you would expect in what's going on with antibody-dependent enhancement, you would expect that the T-cell effect, which is what reduces your viral load, would be less with the booster than it was with the primary series. And in fact, it was. The Israeli data showed that the viral load reduction with boosters was only half as good as with the primary series. And that was if you looked at the entire population if you looked at the population over age 50, it was only one-third as good as the primary series, indicating that you had started to get the immune system even more and more to double down on less and less cytotoxic T-cell response, more and more antibody response, which is what they brag about, is AR booster gets antibodies right back up where they belonged before, not recognizing or ignoring uh, that that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, in fact, all the day that I see both with the transition of what's happened in Great Britain as this has gone from being the vaccine to the uh, uh, outbreak of the unvaccinated, which they always crow as being an argument for vaccination, when in fact we know that in the first stage of ADE developing, the unvaccinated will come down first. Um, and that the hallmark of that will be the unvaccinated naive come down, but the unvaccinated recovered do not. And that's yes. what we see then everything is marching exactly like antibody-dependent enhancement should march. Because Great Britain right now, if you're over the age of 30, you're more likely to have an infection and have symptoms if you're vaccinated per capita than if you're not. Um, so so, so you're, you're saying like this, the reason there's like a macro AD, it's not really, but I'm calling it that, and the micro. On the macro, we're definitely seeing it. I mean, any doctor that treats this will tell you something clicked in the world around July that this thing like is is so five levels above what it was before. It's so clear. It doesn't mean a lot of people still don't get it mildly. They do, but a lot more people, younger, totally healthy, are dying, getting crushed by this thing, and it, and 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 that makes sense because these people, rather than the unvaccinated, an unvaccinated person by definition can never affect the vaccinated person because either it works or it doesn't. But the vaccinated are crushing the heck out of those people. But but right around that time when they still have a prophylactic feeling because they, they have a, a crummy response, but a response nonetheless, um, so they could run up the score with the viral load, just spread around a, a nuclear 
uh, you know, quantity of viral load, crush everyone else, and then so that's going around the world. Eventually, the longer that goes on, it hits them, it comes back and hits them because they don't have enough juice left to deal with it. And you're saying you get to the boosters, and this is important because a lot of people are like, well, I screwed up anyway, I had the shots. But you're saying there is still a big difference between those that got the shots, or like, man, I didn't know all this bad thing, okay, I'm done with it, versus getting it again. Why? Well, it's because of the boostering effect. I mean, every time you give the vaccine, you teach your immune system to work suboptimally. Um, every time you give it a booster, you give it a chance to practice. Um, if you can instead let the population get its natural immunity, um, now it learns the right way, but now transmission drops so low because that's what natural immunity is very good at doing is stopping transmission, that the immune system doesn't keep getting the lesson over and over again. It gets just frequently enough that it can maintain its immunity. But when you're doing boostering, you say, well, I taught you wrong the first time. It's reinforcing the lesson of bad immune system memory every time. And so you actually speed the process of making somebody respond with more and more antibodies, less and less cytotoxic T cells. Um, it's, it's, you know, the antibody-dependent enhancement is uh, what uh, Robert Malone called every vaccinologist's worst nightmare. Um, and this is exactly what you would expect if you keep doing boostering, is that you will get a, a speeding of the downregulation of the cytotoxic T-cell response and a speeding of the upregulation of the antibody response that must necessarily happen. And, and again, I want to go back to other vaccines. Why... Have we not seen this with other vaccines? Is it because when you get that shot, you say it stays in your arm and doesn't go generalized signaling? So it, it, it does trigger more of a T-cell response? Well, it actually has a lot to do with the pathogen itself. Um, if you look at like rhinovirus, a vaccine, a rhinovirus cold uh, virus, it just doesn't break out into the bloodstream very easily. So this is not a pathogen very amenable to a vaccine that you're going to shoot into the arm um, because you, you want to mimic the viral infection as best you can. When I tell people my favorite vaccine is MMR vaccine, and the reason I like MMR vaccine is, hey, what we're actually doing is giving you an injection with a virus, which is going to infect a cell. It's going to send all the right symptoms. It's just that this virus is crippled and really bad at getting out and going on to the next cell. So it gives all the right signals to the immune system. Yeah, you make some antibodies, but you still get cytotoxic T-cell responses. Maybe they like to be in the arm before the respiratory system. But hey, now when it gets in your respiratory system, okay, all I got to relearn is I need to go to the lung, not to the biceps, or to the deltoid, rather. And the vaccine works right because you're instructing the immune system at least. You need to make predominantly cytotoxic T-cells and not so much in the way of uh, antibodies. But these vaccines never actually give a cell in virus-infected biology to communicate with the immune system, um, which is why they make the immune system develop uh, autoimmunity T-helper cells, because it's like, geez, I don't know, I've got none of my signals right. It's why they make T-cells that primarily go to antibodies and not cytotoxic T-cells, um, because they don't actually give the, hey, I'm a virus-infected cell signal, which is necessary to properly tell the immune system what to do. Um, so these vaccines have always been a challenge compared to other viral vaccines we have used, like the MMR vaccine. Um, the other thing you have to remember about some of our other viral vaccines are just not very immunogenic to begin with. So like flu shots are a good example of this. 
In a flu shot, we actually don't put any proteins on cells. We just put proteins in between cells. They tend to get a very mild reaction to begin with. Um, it's predominantly, predominantly antibody response, but at least it's very mild, so it doesn't have as much chance to cause antibody-dependent enhancement. What, what about the pneumonia shot? Well, the ammonia is a bacterial uh, pathogen, and antibodies ah, okay. are very active in bacterial pathogens. So if you give somebody pneumonia shot or the meningitis vaccines, it's harder to screw that up because antibodies are a big part of fighting a bacterial infection, especially in, I should say, particularly an extracellular bacterial infection mm. like pneumococcal pneumonia, like uh, Neisseria meningitis is. Um, so you don't have the chance of screwing that up. People should be asking themselves, look, why have we never had a very good influenza vaccine? Why have we never had a common cold vaccine? And the answer is the way your immune system fights a virus is different than the way it fights an extracellular bacteria or a parasite. And it's harder to get a vaccine to make that work right. Um, mm. the, the miracle of MMR vaccine is that we actually are going to give you a viral infection of a few cells in your deltoid. All right. We're at yep. least going to tell the immune system cytotoxic T cells is something you need. There's going to be a fair amount of this gets out of the deltoid. Little bit gets out and goes to this and there and the other. So you get some antibody response, but at least your immune system learned. I'm going to make cytotoxic T cells as a way to fight this because I've been told there's a virus on board and that's what's doing this. That does not happen with these COVID-19 vaccines, with any of them. They don't make so the, the so that up. Yeah. That, that yep. explains why we never have had, uh, for a respiratory virus, we always said that, uh, because I, you're right, I didn't think about that. Pneumonia, that's for bacterial pneumonia, right. not viral pneumonia. So this is a different ballgame. Um, by definition, you're you're going to have this ADE, original antigenic sin problem, um, depending on the, on the pathogen. And, and again, this is even before we talk about the nature of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, which is a totally uh, separate but very dangerous concern. Um, what would you expect to see in the next 6 to 12 months based on the fact that whether we like it or not, they're going to continue vaccinating the hell out of the globe? Well, actually, we started to see it, and Omicron is, uh, Omicron is probably the best evidence of that. So Omicron transmits more easily, appears to cause very mild symptoms, but it, but appears to cause more symptoms in the vaccinated than it does in the unvaccinated naive. And certainly doesn't appear to do hardly anything in the people who recovered from an earlier variant. Um, which means that now we've got a, a virus which is, you know, it's less able to cause disease, right? But it still does it worse in the vaccinated than it does in the unvaccinated. But uh, wouldn't you expect it to be bad? In other words, the pattern we're on, I would have expected the new thing, which, again, you have to wonder if it's even natural. Because there's a lot of evidence this has been around for a while and it's very suspicious um, you, you would think it would be worse, or is there a concern? Let me ask you this. Is there a concern that as Omicron gets exposed more to the suboptimal evolutionary pressure from these leaky shots, that it might become more virulent? Well, uh, we have to understand every, every strain is as virulent as it is. It's the, it's the mutation to new strains that develops the enhanceable strains and the more virulent strains. So if you don't do vaccination, the evolutionary pressure on a virus is always to become less pathogenic. Uh, you kill your host, you don't get to spread as much. That's the way they always get pushed to become. When you induce a vaccine, 
you still have that evolutionary pressure to develop less pathogenic variants, but now you also have an evolutionary pressure to develop more pathogenic variants, specifically variants that are more pathogenic to the vaccinated. Because remember, the vaccinated immune systems don't work right. So you've actually made a niche where you can make a variant that is really, really bad for these people. Now, eventually, all variants are bad for these people because their immune systems don't work right anymore. They have been taught to, to just not make cytotoxic T cells. And so eventually, you see what we see with Omicron, where, yeah, it spreads more easily, but it doesn't cause very many symptoms, but seems to cause more symptoms in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Um, seems to transmit even faster among the, un the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. So you've got that evolutionary pressure to make Omicron, which is the less pathogenic variant, but also because of the antibody-dependent enhancement, this part which is antibody, truly dependent on the antibodies, you can get like Delta, who actually is able to infect cells better because of the antibodies. Yes. And that has a selectively worse pressure on the vaccinated. Not and the we pray to God Omicron doesn't have that element to it that's more enhanceable through the enhancing antibodies, as the French studies seem to show with the with Delta. Delta. Um, but you know we're almost out of time here. Let me say this: I I'm listening to you, and it's it's not very complicated what you're explaining once you give it over. There's no way these guys that were involved in the creation of this couldn't have realized that. <laughs> to me, it almost seems like that's that's the solution. Like, that's the point. What they're doing is, see, if I create a vaccine that works, then COVID's over with. And, and that's the they don't want it to be over with, right? They enjoy it so much. If I wanted something to to perpetuate the problem and have a death spiral, and almost like a like a heroin addict, like that you get addicted, and the more you take, the more you need, the more you need, the more you take. It's like you have to keep shooting up with it because then it doesn't work, and then it keeps destroying your immune system. <clears throat> I mean, I can't escape that conclusion. Well, you know, I, the way I explain it to people is um, it's really tough to know with 95% certainty which is, whether this is all just naivete and idiocy on the part of the federal government or whether it's active ignorance, but you can only get so stupid for free. And after a while, you know, even the dumbest person will learn that hitting myself in the head with a hammer hurts. I think I'll quit. You can only get a guy to keep hitting himself in the head with a hammer if you pay him to. And therefore, I have to believe that there is some, at least some financial influence. There may be other uh, motivations making people to do this. Um, it may not be coincidental that if you were trying to make a virus to kill off all the old sick people, you'd have made COVID-19. And if you were going to make a vaccine that was going to thin the herd, you'd make one like this. Well, um, if you made the virus, I mean, then why would you want to solve it easily? You have your cake and eat it, too. You get the vaccine. And then, you know, not only doesn't it work, it engenders a further need. I mean, this is what the New Zealand prime minister said, that there's literally, she said, no end point because we're going to keep doing constant uh, updates and boosters. Um, we're almost out of time. Just want to get into natural immunity. There is growing evidence that, I mean, obviously, Omicron um, is completely, you know, immune to the, the vaccine. But there is growing evidence that to a certain extent, natural immunity doesn't work as well against it. My question to you is this. Um, why in general it, does your body, typically you can't get a pathogen again because your body recognizes it. 
Why is there no immunity against coronavirus colds and even more so against rhinoviruses? And does this appear to be kind of like a cold in the sense that it's good news that you don't have immunity because it means the pandemic's over? Yeah, so you have to remember the difference is that rhinoviruses, they don't get into the bloodstream hardly at all. Um, so, you know, you're only going to have cytotoxic T-cell responses to those. And because they're not good at getting out of any other organ system, they're not very good at making other organ systems fail so you don't get severe disease. Um, and because of that, the, uh, the inflammatory cytokine storm is less with a cold, with a rhinovirus than it is with a coronavirus than it is with smallpox to take them along that scale. Sure. Um, people have to understand that there are, there are two phenomena that can make an immune system uh, so it doesn't respond properly to the virus. One of them is the antibody-dependent enhancement where you teach it to work wrong. But the other one is what we call antigenic escape, where the pathogen has changed its proteins enough that the immune system doesn't completely recognize it. Now, if we, if we say that, hey, Omicron isn't an enhancing variant, and I haven't seen any data that it's enhancing, that doesn't mean it can't change enough that it won't get as robust an immune system response as, say, the Alpha or the original Wuhan variant did. But we have to remember that, that whenever you have an antigenic uh, uh, change in antigenic escape, it's never complete escape. So even the people who have recovered from an earlier variant of COVID-19 when they get Omicron, they don't end up hospitalized. They don't end up with severe disease. Um, they, they may not have as much immune system response as is necessary to prevent them from ever having symptoms, but the symptoms they get are very mild. Sure. And that is something you would expect in a normal herd immunity change as the virus tries to become less pathogenic from the original Wuhan strain. It steps down and modifies itself to become like Omicron, where, yeah, I've got enough immune escape that I still give you some symptoms, but I don't kill you. Uh, that's the natural evolution one should expect. So anybody who wants to run in fear of Omicron, I'm like, look, there's no reason to run in fear of Omicron. It's less pathogenic than Wuhan was. It's less pathogenic to the naive people than the alpha strain was. It's less pathogenic to the naive population than Delta is. All right. Um, the people who most need to be afraid of Omicron are the vaccinated because their immune system doesn't work right. Sure, and hopefully even then, you know, this this thing will be uh, uh, mild enough unless there's some sort of trick up the sleeves of those who created this that we don't know about yet. Um, we're going to go just over time because I have to, this really requires its own show, but I have to touch on one final frontier with you. There's a Swedish study out uh, from a month ago that I touched on but didn't really delve into um, it's titled, if you guys want to look it up, SARS-CoV-2 spike impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits VDJ recombination in vitro. It was published by the Department of Molecular Biosciences at Stockholm University. Um, Dr. Stock, so, you know, we were told from day one, don't you dare say this could affect your DNA. It's an, uh, you know, RNA and nothing to do with the DNA. There's no way it could ever, you know, back, you know, retro back into the DNA and, and damage it. But it appears that, first of all, you know, the, the pathogen's a bioweapon and the vaccine's a bioweapon. So this is the spike they seem to be saying does get into the nucleocapsid and does screw up your DNA repair. And therefore, if you give someone the spike through the shots, 
you might have the same problem. Could you explain the Swedish study and the potential consequences? Yeah, so your body is designed to, to launch inflammatory immune system responses for a short period of time. Uh, the way you and I evolved was, look, if you got some bad infection back when it was caveman days, you either got over it in 10 days or you were dead, all right? That's the evolution that your immune system is primed for. When you turn on the process of inflammation for a prolonged period of time, you start a whole bunch of chemical reactions that have about a three-week threshold before they start. Well, if you keep that inflammation going beyond the three weeks, you do a whole bunch of things wrong, and one of those is DNA repair. Um, the, so the slowing down of your metabolism that you get when you get influenza, because the, the body actually has a mechanism for slowing your metabolism during virus infections because it's trying to make it so the cells can't reproduce as fast. The virus uses your own machinery. Well, if we're going to slow the machinery down. That actually buys the immune system some time against the virus. But if you s use that inflammation and slow the machinery down long enough, you won't do other things you need to do, like repair your DNA. And now you'll have screwed up genes for the rest of your life. Um, and so it's, it's not just that the RNA gets converted back into DNA and gets inserted into the genes. We know that happens now. 20 out of 23 chromosomes have actually shown that spike protein RNA has been translated into DNA and put into our chromosomes. That may or may not cause a problem. But prolonged inflammation prevents you from repairing your DNA. And now all of the mm. genes that you need don't get repaired as often, and you should expect to see decrement of function that comes just from that. And what sort of symptoms what do you see? Well, think of every single tissue, degrade its DNA, and that tissue will do its job less well. So you should expect to see the cartilage regenerating less quickly in your joints. You should expect to see that you recover from a cut less quickly than you did before. All of these things should start to happen over time. That is one of the big problems with these vaccines compared to, like, if you gave you an MMR vaccine, you know, your, your body will respond to that vaccine and get rid of that virus. But, you know, hey, the whole thing's over in 10 days. You know, the inflammation being generated by these spike protein RNA sequences causes inflammation for months and months and months. Well, in the meantime, you can downregulate a lot of the DNA repair in every tissue of the body because of the inflammatory signaling. And now you have genes that, hey, maybe you're going to have more cancer. Uh, maybe you're going to heal from wounds less quickly. Uh, maybe your weightlifting won't generate as much muscle tissue. Um, you know, all of the, every, every tissue does what it does because of the genes that it has. You start making that tissue so it can't repair its genes, pancreas cells will make less insulin. Um, nasal goblet cells will make less mucus. I mean, you, you, there's no way you can just... If you slow DNA repair wow. throughout the body, everything in the body gets worse. And chronic and, and again, what's what's so what's so frustrating about what you're saying is that all of these things will take time. I mean, people like us will see the signals early, but to get to the general public, it's going to take so long, and the damage is done. And it's it's politically an amazing shot because it gives you that sugar high of the antibodies, which is really a bad thing over you know in in the scheme of things. But so you'll have some degree of prophylactic uh, protection for that guy. Not not even everyone gets that. A lot of people, it's a, it's a bust, um, especially immunocompromised, and they're they're dead anyway from the virus. 
But, you know, they'll have that, but then it does so much damage in making the pathogen worse, worse on everyone, and then the stuff going on in their bodies that you've given us a little bit of a glimpse into, that, you know, that that's likely, I mean, God have mercy on us, is going to be 100% of people, not 1% or 0.1%. This is, you know, everyone, and certainly the more you you keep getting the shot, the more it's going to teach you to 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 do this stuff um, and to express the spike and to respond to the spike in this stupid way. Um, and then, you know, we didn't even get into all the issues with the spike itself. Um, real quick and double overtime question, cancer. Uh, when you say it down-regulates your cytotoxic T-cells, are these the CD8s, the same T-cells that patrol and deal with cancer, or is that different? Is that a different concern? Well, it's the same concern, but a different cell. So as cells are, as uh, uh, lymphocytes are developing, the first uh, thing they try to develop into is something called a natural killer cell. And this is the guy who actually goes off and destroys cancer cells. Well, the problem is, as you start to switch the, the differentiation of lymphocytes away from the cytotoxic, the natural killer cytotoxic T cell line, and more and more into the later evolved state, which is B cell and antibody production. As you do that, you not only necessarily reduce cytotoxic T cell counts, but you reduce natural killer cell counts. And natural killer cells are the guys who take on cancer. So those um, are not the CD8s. Those are what, like? The CD56 cells. CD56, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so, the, so that is a, I mean, are we seeing evidence of that? Or is that just a concern at this point? It's a later concern that comes on, although I have already heard from friends of, I have a friend who's a drug rep who works with, uh, sells stuff from a, a company that makes cancer uh, chemotherapeutics, and has already said that at IU Health here in Indianapolis, they're having a rash of lymphoma and leukemia that's developing. Now, that may be more to the immune system perturbation because leukemia and lymphoma are actually uh, uh, immune system cells gone amok. But I would suspect that very shortly, if it's not already been seen, we'll start to see people having more cervical cancer, more lung cancer. Um, because as the, as the ADE progresses, it doesn't just reduce your cytotoxic T cells, it reduces those natural killer cells. And that's your, your cancer defense right there. So you're, you're not only screwing up the DNA more frequently, slowly over time, so that you generate more cancer, but you are slowly over time degrading natural killer cell function so that you can't fight the cancer. Inevitably, one would have to see an increase in cancer that comes from this. I don't know if that's been demonstrated yet, but if it hasn't been, it's probably only because it's too early in the process. If anybody asks me, Dan, do you think eventually that's going to be found from these vaccines? It's like, oh, yeah, if I had to make a bet, I bet it increases the risk of cancer. Yeah, we're not saying carcinogenic. We're saying it's indirect. The way it screws with your immune system, people forget cancer is so dependent on your immune system and and that's why you know boosting your immune system is a whole nother probably better path to battling cancer and that's a whole nother discussion um but man i mean you could not have nuked your immune system worse than what we've done with this uh but look you know you look at the original creation of this and it was clearly created so you can't escape the conclusion that well for the same reason they wanted to create the bioweapon they created a bioweapon to deal with the bioweapon 
And that's kind of where we are. Uh, we're going to have to leave it at that today. We've left so much on the table. Folks, I just want to make sure you guys know, um, if you're looking for Christmas presents, we have Blaze Socks. BlazeSocks.com. Patriotic, uh, cool, conservative uh, messages on socks. American cotton, made in America. It supports 1,200 American jobs. They're almost gone, by the way. So you, if you want it, go today. Horowitz 20 is the... Um, that is the promo code, as well as you can go to Blaze Media Collection Shop, Daniel Hurwitz, to look for our Freedom Over Fascism mugs, T-shirts, and hoodies. Um, really cool stuff. Mine's coming in the mail today. Uh, we are about out of time. Thank you, Dr. Stock, for joining us. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.